Hi guys, my name is Joe Bello. If you guys haven't heard of me, I'm a podcaster that wants to inform people about Nigerian history one podcast at a time. Remember to follow me if you haven't, and please spread my podcast on social media sites so more people can learn about Nigerian history. Thank you guys so much for following the podcast, listening to it. You guys are the reason why this podcast is running, and you guys are the reason why this podcast will prosper. Thank you guys so much, and I love you guys. Thank you. So, today's fun fact is that the Nabra waxbill bird is only found in southern Nigeria. Like, it's literally only found in southern Nigeria, which is crazy to me. And if you guys want to know about the Nabra waxbill bird, just Google a Nabra waxbill bird, and it'll put you up to a Wikipedia link for you guys to learn more about it. So, the agenda for today is that we're going to talk about the Kingdom of Ori. And in honor of Halloween, we're going to talk about the um, Madam Koi Koi, which is a scary Nigerian fable. So, get ready for that. So, let's start talking about the history of the Wari Kingdom. So, the Kingdom of Wari is a traditional state based on the town of Wari in Delta State, Nigeria. Wari is an inland port on one of Nigeria River channels in Niger Delta. The Olu, which means king of Wari, is the head of the Itskeri people, which is a tribe. According to historians, Ginua is the prince of Benin. Was I'm sorry, isn't he's not the prince of Benin right now, but he was a prince of Benin, and he founded the Wari Kingdom about 1480 CE. In 15th century CE, Wari was visited by Portuguese missionaries, and at the beginning of 17th century CE, a son of the reigning Olu was sent to Portugal and returned with a Portuguese wife. Their son, Antonio Domingo, was Olu of Wari in the 1640s. Olu Ijuwa was who reigned from about 720 to 1800, expanded Wari politically and commercially, using the Portuguese to further Wari's independence of Benin and established control over a wider area. Later, Wari served as the base for Portuguese and Dutch slave traders. Wari became an important port city during the late 19th century when it became a center of palm oil trade and other major, major items such as rubber, palm products, coca, groundnuts, hides, and skins. Wari was established as a headquarters by the British in the tw- early 20th century. In 1952, the government of Western Nigeria changed the title of Itskeri ruler from the Olu of Itskeri to the Olu of Wari at the, at the request of the Itskeri. The Ija and other people of the community objected to the change since they felt the new title implied that the Oluba's ruler of Wari, not just the Itskeri. In 1997, the federal government under General Sani Abacha created a Wari Southwest Local Government Council with headquarters at Obe Ijoy in the Ijawari area of Wari. Due to the political pressure by the Itskeri, the headquarters was relocated to OGB Den, an Itskeri area of Wari. Riots ensued, hundreds died, 
and six-shell Nigerian installed nations were taken over by youths. The crisis is known as the War E Crisis. While the Ija and Iskari have lived alongside each other for centuries, for the most part harmoniously, the Iskari were first to make contact with European traders as early as the 16th century, and they were seeking more aggressive Western educations in, and in using the knowledge acquired to press their commercial advantages until the arrival of Sir George Gordy's National African Company later renamed the Royal Niger Company in 1879. Its scary chief men monopolized trade with Europeans in the Western Niger region. Despite the loss of their monopoly, the advantages already held by the Itsgeri ensured that they continued to enjoy a superior position to that held by the Ija. The Department of the British at independence did not lead to a decrease in intentions between the Ija and its scary. While the discovery of large oil reserves in the Niger Delta region in the early 1960s, a new bone of contention was introduced as the, give, as the ability to give ownership of a given piece of land now promised yield immense benefits in terms of jobs and in, in infrastructure benefits to be provided by the oil companies. B- despite this new factor, rivalries between the Ejai and Skerry did not violently, actually escalate to the level of violent conflict between the two groups until the late 1990s, when the death of General Sani Abacha in the 1997 held to a re-emergence of the local politics. <coughs> The title one of city's traditional ruler, the Olu of Wari, was formerly known as the Olu of Itsgeri. While the title was changed by Owolu's Western Nigerian uh, government from Olu to Itsgeri to Olu of Wari, in 1952, members of other tribes saw this as an attempt to impose an Itsgeri ruler over them. And if you know anything about your Nigeria, you know that Nigeria and um, other tribes don't really get along. <clears throat> like, you can have one tribe and another tribe that are exactly the same, but they don't like each other. It's very common in Nigeria. And I know this is kind of off topic, but if, in order for Nigeria to get better, we need to all come together and stop having all these weird tribe enemies and just embrace our tribes and embrace each other. But that's my personal opinion. So, continuing, the title dispute had less had led to a series of clashes between the tribes and worry over sovereignty. In 1997, the federal government under the late Gen Sani Abacha created a number of local government areas, including a Wari Southwest Local Government Council. The origin of this scary tribe of the Wari Kingdom has always been misconstructed because of the dialectal proximity to the to that of the Yorubas. The, follow, the following essay compiled by Henry Iroka reveals not just their origin, but how they came to be and their dialect, their role, and the people's history and development. Prince Jinua was the eldest son of the 14 Oba of Benin. Oba Aluwa, who was the heir apparent to the great throne of Benin Kingdom, 
the prince loved by his was well loved by his father but benin chiefs hated him because they claimed he was too proud and too arrogant they felt that it might have been bad for the kingdom if he was allowed to reign after his father for that same reason they planned to eliminate him so that he couldn't reign the plan was to the oba by one of the the plan was divulged to the oba by one of the oba's loyal chiefs instantly the oba summoned his medicine man and sought his counsel on this issue from the play of the oracle by idebi it was also revealed that the prince must be sent away from the kingdom without further delay the escape of prince genua was set in motion by the oba the oba assembled all his chiefs demanded from them their first sons to accompany genua to the river and perform and perform the rites desirable to the goddess of the river which is called the Olokun. They all complied immediately and their eldest sons, Semedi, were all made available on the on the day of departure. Except for the Oba, the medicine man and the palace attendant who hatched the escape plan did not know that Ginuwa and his um and his Rintun would not return to Benin. They therefore joined their Oba in wishing Gunua a safe journey and good luck on his on his journey in Igbo language by saying, I'm sorry if I say this wrong, I don't speak Edo, but Okihin nowhere o. There is no reason, and sadly there is no woman on the entourage. The journey from Benin took them through uh, Ogurian to Afikupi, Amatu, and Oshilima, where Ginua was reported to have gotten married to Dorimu before he finally arrived at a virgin land which was named Ijala. Before his arrival at Ijala, he already got two male children, Prince Ijen and Irami. As the chiefs waited in vain for the return of their children, the plan began to unveil itself and dawned on them that the Igbo had taken them for a ride. The next, nine, the, next, the next line of action was to dispatch soldiers at various times to the palace, to, to palace, to palaces, to palace the royal team, to, I'm sorry, ah, my words today. So the next, the, next, the next line of action was to dispatch soldiers at various times to places the royal team visited so that their children could be brought back to Benin. It could say that none of these soldiers sent out by chiefs achieved their desired mission. It was, it was on one of these unfulfilled missions by the soldiers that information reached Genua and his followers and, and his followers about the plan onslaught on them that made them start planning for their evacuation from Ijala. Unfortunately, this plan did not materialize in, Jun in Juna's wife, in Jinua's wife, because he joined his ancestors at Ijala and was buried there. Hence, all the demise Olus have been buried at Ijala from 500 AD to this date. Moving from Ijala to Ode is scary. Immediately. His eldest son, Prince Ijejian, immediately took up royal command and was still at practice at the Benin Kingdom 
and all honor was due to him and was accordingly given. The planned movement of Ijala was therefore executed by Prince Ejen, Ejijin, with the aid of EDB. I'm sorry if I say this wrong. I'm not trying to be mean. I know I'm Nigerian, but I can barely speak um, Nigerian. I understand it, but I can't speak it. So I'm sorry, guys, if I say this wrong. So um, continuing, he was executed uh, by Prince Ejen, Ejijen, with the aid of a EDBB, which means medicine man or diviner, who threw a magical spear that was believed to have landed on the location of On. Okotumu, now Odi Itsgeri. The tracing of the spear by Pris Ijijen and his people with the help of the ADBB pilot team finally brought them to the spear's location. It was here that they met a group of people believed to have migrated from southeast region of the Yoruba territory who are now the bulk of the Ira people. The present site of the Wari Kingdom of the Roy Kingdom Rose Cemetery is the original place of the adobe of Oluginua. After the movement of the entourage to Ode, it's scary. The area remained uninhabited and thus became a royal grove reserved solely. And if you guys are wondering, yes, the princes and queens are still alive today, and Wari is still held as a place in Nigeria. And yes, it has its own democracy system, its own kings and queens. So now we finish with that. Let's talk about a spooky story about Madam Koi Koi. So Madam Koi Koi is a ghost in Nigerian and African urban legends who haunts dormitories. Yes, she haunts dormitories hallways and toilets in boarding schools at night while in day school she haunts toilets and students who come too early or leave too late are haunted by her she is often depicted wearing a pair of red heels or wearing a single heel she's one of the most popular boarding school girls in nigeria ghana and south africa so let's talk about her and let's talk about why she's so infamous so, in Nigeria, she's depicted as a stylish teacher in secondary school, known for her beauty and red heels. Whenever she walked in the hallways, her shoes would make the sound koi koi, which is where the, which is where the name Madam Koi Koi came from. It is also said that she was very nasty to students and would beat them up for no reason. She was, fired, she was, fired and, and she, she was fired when she slapped a female student and injured her ear. On her journey back home, she was involved in an accident and died. Before she died, she swore that she would have her revenge on the school and its students. Not too long after, students of the secondary school at night would hear a koi koi sound in the hallways of their dormitories after the lights out, almost like the clicking of heels on the floor. In another tale, she was also said to be a very wicked teacher who would flog her students every chance she got. Some said that she was a sadist and used being and used being a teacher as an excuse to inflict extreme pain and torture whenever she pleased. The students, tired of the school management's failure to reprimand her, decided to take matters into their own hands. One night as she was leaving the school, the students cornered her, gagged her so she couldn't scream, and began to beat her merciless, mercilessly, killing her. 
After realizing the fact they threw her body over the school's back fence and ran away in hopes of making witnesses think the damage was caused by an armed robber, gradually every student except the one who hit her with the shoe disappeared. He constantly told everyone that he and the others had done uh, he constantly told everybody what he and the others had done, and he heard the sound of high heels clacking around the, his, ho- his hostel every night, and he believed him meant that she was coming for him. But no one believed him. One night, he decided to go out to find where that sound was coming from. However, he was beaten to a death, and his body was found the morning after. The school was shut down, and all these kids were transferred to new schools. These kids later went to spread the legend onto their new schools. She walks to the halls of hostels, tormenting students and causing everyone who looks at her to disappear. Remember, guys, this is just, uh, this is not real. This is a scary story, okay? So it's not real. <laughs> so this is all for today's episode. And bye-bye. And have a good day.